Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you. Fearsome, generous, humble, and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week, we meet at this table for an hour to experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other through our joys and lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us they're just some things that we don't talk about. But here we live beyond both the judgment and the wreckage. We share some aha moments that have been left in our pockets for way too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However, You must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston. And we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org. Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Should you miss us, we have Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Podcast on TuneIn and Apple Podcasts. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, those of you who do know it's easy, email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Miro, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song and for naming it, I'm Listening. Storytelling on Frankly Speaking with Tyra G., has been exciting, intentionally thematic across generations, cultures, and genre for over three years. However, this year, y'all know, a powerful, invisible, silent enemy has paused humanity as we knew it and attempted to steal our joy. Many of us have been left feeling powerless. Many of us have grieved the loss of jobs. The concept of home has necessarily been expanded to include office, classroom, gym, hair salon, barbershop. We became more dependent on technology to facilitate how and when we connect, to learn and to share. It has been hard to stay positive and enthusiastic about much of anything. It feels like merely surviving is success. I've had to be intentionally reminding myself that what is happening to me is separate and distinct from who I am. I'm holding tight to the power of thought because I know thoughts can drive new possibilities just as they can limit outcomes. So, I've been looking for program content that shines light into this darkness of uncertainty and unrest. And it's been delightful. I've found so many ordinary men, women, and organizations doing extraordinary things that lead to hope and health and happiness. 
They all seem to have servant hearts and an attitude that has them refusing to be refused in their creative problem solving. This week, we're shining light into a dark space that really should not exist in this country. Rich and successful United States of America. To walk us into this topic, I'm going to quote a few headlines and stories I pulled from the U.S. News Service in the past two weeks. Take a listen. See if you have a personal, or if you have had a personal encounter on tonight's topic. According to, and I'm quoting, one estimate, nearly 570,000 people nationwide were homeless on a night in 2019. Now we're going to talk about how that statistic is arrived at a little bit later with our guest. Next, I quote again, people living outside struggle to get on a housing list. Sean Murphy has been in and mostly out of Seattle shelters for six years, the same amount of time since the city declared a homelessness state of emergency. It is estimated that over 3,000 people sleep outside every night in Seattle. Now, this is Associated Press, April 10th, 2021. And I quote again, man sentenced for poisoning eight California homeless people. A man who poisoned eight homeless people in Southern California, in a Southern California beach town so he could videotape their reactions, has now been sentenced to four years in state prison. Again, Associated Press. Kansas City to temporarily house homeless people in hotels. Local officials agreed Tuesday to provide temporary housing in hotel rooms for the homeless population in Kansas City, Missouri, following a months-long encampment of the homeless on the lawn of City Hall. Guess that was a change agent. A quote again, no address, no ID, and struggling to get their stimulus checks. Many people living in homeless uh, shelters on, on the street have not received any federal stimulus checks. Stimulus checks. They are stymied by misinformation and bureaucracy. For most Americans, the third stimulus payment, like the first two, arrived as if by magic, landing impromptu in the U.S. mail. Charlie Valdez, born in Brooklyn 58 years ago, appears to qualify and could still collect all three payments, totaling $3,200, if he filed a 2020 tax return. But he hasn't filed taxes in years. The closest he comes to a banking system is when he sleeps in an ATM vestibule on Delancey Street. Mr. Velez said that though outreach workers occasionally approach him to offer help, when it comes to the stimulus, no one has mentioned it. And finally, Los Angeles AP. It's easy to walk past the homeless, to disregard the guy lying on the street, or ignore the woman standing at the intersection holding a handwritten sign with a plea for help. 
but it's harder to look away when you have seen their eyes. Look past lines drawn hard by hard living or the still soft skin of someone young but struggling to break the cycle of dependency or abuse. Their eyes hint at lost promise or offer a glimmer of hope. Some are haunting, others flaccid, others troubled or masking troubles. Some are warm and tender, others tough and anxious. Suffice it to say, there's a lot of darkness in the life of someone who is homeless. I'm reminded of a reality, though. When you encounter someone for the first time, rarely you're seeing the first page of their story. Today we're going to create our common thought space for our time together with another quote from Ms. Ayanna Vansant in her book, Until Today. And I quote, What happens when you have to be light in darkness? At night, the ocean can be a huge, dark place. When riding the seas, you can never know for sure if the water will be calm or turbulent. You never know if you will drift off course and run aground. That is why there are lighthouses. When ships lose their way, they are guided by the lighthouse. When there's trouble or danger at sea, you can seek refuge by the lighthouse. During a storm, the lighthouse will always guide ships safely to shore. Best of all, there's always someone in the lighthouse waiting. Be that someone. Be a lighthouse. Let your life be a shining symbol for others. Let everything you do be of service to someone. Stand tall in the knowledge of who you are. Stand proudly during the tough times. Be aware that who you are and what you must offer can be a beacon to some lost soul. Be a lighthouse keeper. Be on the lookout for lost souls. Be alert to those who may be in a need and have nowhere to go or nowhere to get there. Be a lighthouse to a child. Guide a child. Protect a child. You don't have to say much. Just let the child know you're there should the need arise. Be a lighthouse to an elder. Someone who has traveled the sea of life, but now needs a bit of warmth and comfort. Perhaps a cup of tea or some interesting conversation. Be a lighthouse to a young man or woman who's lost their footing or maybe losing their direction in life. Remember, no matter what condition a wind-blown sailor reaches the lighthouse in, the keeper is always welcoming. The lighthouse keeper always has something on hand or knows what to do to get you up to sailing again. And I end quote, in reality, the power of a lighthouse is often found in a person or people or an organization. Joining me today is the director of the Fairfax County Office to Prevent and End Homelessness, Mr. Tom Barnett. Tom wasn't always director of the office to prevent and end homelessness, so he's going to take the mic and add his story to our human library. 
He will share his journey before Fairfax County in terms of what contributed to his character, his dreams, his challenges, his heroes, his sheroes. And he will walk us into our topic, Courageous Conversation, the look behind the word homelessness. Okay, Tom, the mic is yours. Good evening, Tyra. Uh, so thank you for the brief introduction. I'll tell you a little bit about myself in terms of where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually born and raised here in Fairfax County, Reston, uh, Virginia, to be specific. And I uh, lived here for the first 14 years of my life. Um, and it really profoundly shaped my belief about the world. And in many ways, you could say I was sheltered and spoiled, but uh, it was a community that was intentionally designed to be diverse in terms of race and ethnicity and incomes and um, integrated both the built environment and the, and the natural environment together in a really harmonious way. So you have many walking paths and, and buildings and residences of all types. Uh, and so I was born and raised here. Um, and uh, was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, I went to a private school for a number of years. Um, when I got to high school age, I actually went to Centerville High School and um, graduated from Centerville High School, the first graduating class there. Um, and when I got done, unlike many of my colleagues or, or fellow students, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I actually took two years of no school and sort of false attempts um, before I finally found a school that that I that called to me, and it was at Virginia Commonwealth University in, in Richmond. I fell in love with the city of Richmond. Um, I, my eyes were open to the opportunities that were there, the the culture, the uh, the art, the, the the food, the people. Really fell in love with it, and I imagined that I was going to go um, become a psychiatrist. I, I was really interested in helping people and understanding the human mind, but I became disillusioned quickly with psychiatry. It was focused on dysfunction and why people were sick and, and how to to medicate them, and it was something that very quickly I fell out of love with and. It was only by chance that I happened into their school of social work where this one day really changed the course of my life, where they explained to me that it wasn't in social work about what's wrong with people, but how do they thrive just despite adversity? How do you build on the strengths of people to get them the things that they need and help them in life? And I really fell in love with that. And it was soon through that college, those college courses that I got my very first chance in working with people experiencing homelessness, where I was tasked as an intern to go walking out into the streets and under bridges and in abandoned homes and, and reach out to them and gain people's trust and literally offer them apartments right there on the spot. And we would move people off of the streets into an apartment of their own. And I was there as a very young adult helping coach them and learning myself about what it meant to be an adult and to sustain a household, uh, to be uh, on your own and living 
in the city of Richmond. After graduating with a bachelor in social work, I went to New York City and decided to work in that homeless system. Uh, I was there on September 11th, uh, working for the American Red Cross and their homeless shelter system. Um, eventually, to make long, you know, long story short, I ended up back here in my home turf of Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, and eventually back here in Reston, where I live with my wife. And um, it was, I never imagined I'd work for government. I had always been a nonprofit uh, person for so many years. But I, I, at the same time that I was uh, arriving back home, there was something big starting here in Fairfax County, this plan to prevent and end homelessness. And they started an office to prevent and end homelessness. And when a job opportunity opened up, I went for it. And it's, I've been here in Fairfax County government for 10 years this year. And uh, it's been an amazing experience. We have an incredible group, an incredible partnership, both staff in the county and, and partners across the county that's really doing amazing work preventing and ending homelessness. Um, eventually, I did get my degree in public administration, um, a master's degree at George Mason University, and it's given me a whole new insight into a local government and how to be effective there. And I met all sorts of amazing people uh, like you. Oh, you know what? Uh, I was I always take notes when I listen to introductions and this your introduction is so right in contributing what we need to talk about today because you've got uh, several views. You've got New York City. You've got here you have. And, and this is this is a big question. OK, for those who are international listeners, we're talking about northern Virginia right now. And guess what? The top three richest counties in America are Loudoun County, Virginia, Falls Church City, Falls Church City, Virginia, and Fairfax County, Virginia. So the pre mm -hmm. it, that begs the question, okay, well, wait a minute. What do you mean homeless? People who are homeless. And that's the other thing, Tom, you and I need to talk about. Uh, I am so attentive to people first language now. I, I my my best efforts are to talk about people who are people with disabilities, people who are homeless, because that is a statement of condition. It is not a statement of a permanent situation you cannot overcome in some ways. And so um, I remember, uh, gee. A few years back, uh, going to Richmond a lot, where we're changing the language from retard to people with disabilities mm -hmm. and the significance of that, of language. So, um, but here we are in Fairfax County, and um, there, I don't want you to let me forget about the importance of several things you said. One, nonprofits, partnerships. I have those down. We'll talk about those, okay? But. Mm -hmm. Help our audience understand. We're talking about people who are homeless. Give them some backstories. How did people arrive? Because in order for you to serve them, you had to learn them. And so what were some of the stories that you walked into? And I think they'll probably be surprising, at least some that I've experienced are very surprising uh, of that population. Would you share a few of those? Sure, sure. So in 23 years of serving 
people experiencing homelessness. I, I have so many stories running through my head, and the only common thread is that they lack a home, but their stories are so different. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be the, uh, the, the teenager who's running away from their house uh, because they are, are, are gay and they're unaccepted mm-hmm. by their family. Teen mothers who are kicked out of their own home you know, as a teenager because they have a baby of their own and their parents won't accept it. Um, you know, young men in their 20s, sometimes, um, you know, they, they encounter the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. right? Uh, oftentimes paired with mental health challenges. And so many people in jails and prisons are suffering from mental health uh, and they end up getting incarcerated and they come out and they have a blemish on their record that keeps them from working or, or, or finding housing. You have women with children fleeing violence from an abuser. Mm-hmm. You have um, people who you know are look like the stereotypical family: uh, two two parents, two kids. Everything's going great until suddenly it's not, and you have health crises and lost mm-hmm. jobs, and sometimes all together at the same time. And you lose your income and you lose your housing, you lose your health, and you can really get stuck. Um, and so many people here in Fairfax County are, are, are living at risk of homelessness. Mm. And it's only, uh, but, you know, it's, it only takes one bad accident for them to um, become homeless. And, I mean, the stories go on and on, but every type of, of person, you know, in color and background and, and age, they're, they're all represented. We have people in our 70s, 80s, and even the 90s showing up in our shelters. Yes, yes. Um, and, and the one, um, I, I took notes, I just wanted to, I love what you said, and I, I want to remember, and you helped me to close with this, the common thread of the population which you serve is that they all lack a home mm-hmm. that is so significant uh, I've worked with teen mothers uh, and mental health issues and domestic violence the one thing we didn't call out uh, individually were veterans who are homeless and and that's become uh, near yeah. and dear to my heart you know people who made our lives safe and possible and and in yeah. often cases pay the ultimate price and come home and for many of the reasons that you talked about particularly the mental health reasons uh the job mm-hmm. reasons. and then the other one the other one tom that we didn't mention is people can be homeless where both parents are working oh yeah you know they're they're, they're, oh, yeah. they're living below the poverty line and they cannot make it and and then over I half, half yeah over half the adults in our family shelters are working yes and it, it's so surprising but yeah it, the cost of living is high and the incomes are, are are often not high enough and I um I was doing some reading and it was talking about uh, people living below the poverty line where they work is so far away from where they can get affordable housing and that our transportation systems, our trains, and our buses may not run on the schedule that can get them back and forth. 
and and mm-hmm. that shocked me, you know. And they were talking about uh, people who worked in hotels, and their shifts were late, and there were no more buses, and they had to, and they lived far, far away. In order, and I thought, my gosh, what are we doing? You know, are we not thinking? And so, okay, you you have a policy view, you have a personal view, you have a programmatic view. I don't know, which one do you want to talk about? We, we need to talk about all that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the people that matter most, and I think about their stories every day, and the people I've encountered as I'm working in programs and policy. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, let's, but, so let's talk about policy. Let's kind of work our way from up and down. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, when it, when it comes to policy, I mean, it, it, there are big decisions being made that haven't made decades ago that are still affecting us today. Talk about some of those. Well, I mean, it, the, the most important thing is when you look at the population of people experiencing homelessness, uh-huh. some, some, some characteristics really jump out, and, and, you, and you can't ignore the disparities and disproportionality in terms of race. Okay. Uh, here in Fairfax County, the general population is about 10% black or African American. Mm-hmm. But among the homeless population, it's well over half. For homeless families, it's actually two-thirds. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, you have to let that sink in and Unfortunately, it's not surprising to many people because you look at the educational system, the criminal justice system, the yeah. healthcare system, and black or African Americans are really often overrepresented in terms of you know, poor health and, and involvement in the criminal justice system and lack of access to jobs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But these policy decisions I'm talking about are things like around housing. You okay. Know? Uh, and many people's lives, you know, redlining where people were excluded from living in certain areas, um, where highways were built that tore through historically black communities and destroyed generations of wealth that had just begun to be built. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have now huge disparities in wealth between white and black families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and when you look at the people experiencing poverty, it's over 71,000 people here in Fairfax County. Um, and many times you're like, wow, why don't we have more people experiencing homelessness? Well, it's oftentimes you can be very poor and not experience homelessness because you're turning to your social support network, your family, your friends. Right, right, yes. Uh, you know, and that's how, if same way if I suddenly lost my job, I'd call my brother, call my mother, ask them for help. Mm-hmm. But when your entire social support network and your family doesn't have the resources to support you and them, mm-hmm. you're, you could find yourself on the street or in a shelter very quickly. And, um, wow, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the highways and the, the neighborhoods that have been destroyed. You know, we can drive through our big county and see see evidence of that. But when you just said um, their social networks are often as strained as they are, I was thinking um, working with some teenagers in high school, 
we don't count many of them who are homeless who are, what do they call it, couch surfing, sleeping mm -hmm. on couches yeah. of friends, sleeping in cars. And, oh, let's, let's get back to that because I mentioned a number in my intro uh, about uh, the number of people that were homeless on a particular day in 2019. And I happen to know that uh, there is a day, we still do that, right? There is a day mm -hmm. each year yeah. when we count, right? Talk about how yeah. we do that and the validity of it. What are some of the challenges of counting as well? Yeah, this is a really big challenge when it comes to making decisions, policy decisions, mm -hmm. and understanding the scale and the scope of this problem of homelessness in, in, in our country. Mm -hmm. um, we've relied on for decades this uh, annual point in time count that happens in uh, one day in January. Um, and the idea is in communities across the country, they send volunteers out into the streets and they have people at staff at shelters count who can they find, and they do a very basic survey. But, of course, you don't need to think very hard as to, like, how easy it is to miss someone, especially in a county like ours that's 400 square miles big. Yes, yes. Um, when, when I lived and worked in New York City, we literally broke every few blocks down into a volunteer team, and they canvassed every block. Mm -hmm. But here in Fairfax County, there's dense woods, there's parkland, there's, um, you know, tons of uh, parking lots where people are sleeping in their cars. Finding people can be much more challenging when they're not literally on the streets. Um, and many times the, that, that teenager youth homeless population can be the hardest to find because they don't want to be found. Right? Yes, yes, and there's a stigma. Yes, yes. They may be running away from their family, mm -hmm. and they don't want to go back. And they know that they may need to go into foster care or something like that if they are found. Um, so, and, and the same thing goes for adults as well. You know, if they're sleeping in their car or they're sleeping in a tent in the woods, mm -hmm. we do our best to find them. We're searching throughout the entire year, and we work with community members all the time to identify spots where people are known to be sleeping. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to pretend like we've identified everyone. And something the data does tell us is that over the course of the year, you actually see three times as many people. Um, that one point in time count gives people kind of a, a small estimate of what the real problem is. So mm -hmm. You mentioned over half a million people. Uh, times that by three just in a year, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. one, one and a half million. And then you times that over 10 years. Some surveys are indicating that one out of 14 people actually experience homelessness at some point in their lives. I believe that. And so, yeah. And so that takes it out of the context of just one night mm -hmm. and a half a million people to something that is a much broader issue where people experience homelessness many times over the course of their lives or many people experience homelessness some people for extended periods of time, but most people only for a brief period of time. And I'm thinking of uh, when, when I looked at domestic uh, violence situations, um, women and men who escaped domestic violence situations, one, like you said, did not want to be found. Two, there's, there's an amount of shame 
associated yeah. with uh, that that quality of life situation. There's amount of shame associated with being a person who is homeless. And yeah. um, I'm thinking uh, of my life and uh, a critical experience with divorce after 20 years and uh, being blindsided and having to move from state to state. And I, I qualified uh, sociologically as being described as homeless and mm-hmm. uh, because I was staying with friends. I was dependent if, the, if it had not been for them. Uh, so I, I think we talk about the issue of homelessness as thinking of it as way out there, you know, like it right. can't touch us. But yes, it can. Let's talk about how we do the how how we did the annual count with COVID, or did we? Yeah, yeah. Well, in Fairfax County, we're fortunate in that we rely heavily on staff on, on every year. So, unlike in communities like D.C. or New York, where they're very volunteer driven, uh-huh. we rely on staff, and so we didn't have to make a lot of changes, but. Communities in more urban areas that with the much larger homeless populations that use like a legion of volunteers mm-hmm. really had to change what they do. I mean, the training was much more COVID safety related. Right, right. I've even heard in D.C. that they would send not just their usual outreach workers, but the outreach workers' families as volunteers because they were already living in a pod and what better way to reduce infections, but simply have the family go out together as a volunteer group and find people experiencing That's homelessness. That's very interesting. Say that again now. So you had people, just just say what you just said again. I, I don't want yeah. to misquote you. Imagine, you know, there's a, a worker who's paid to go and do street outreach on okay. a given day. And, okay. But for the point in time, they needed to reach out and, and talk to everybody that that's experiencing homelessness. Okay. And so they actually paired these average workers with their entire family. Okay. Uh, who was already living together as a pod. Mm-hmm. And so to prevent the spread of the COVID infection to other people, mm-hmm. they said, you go out with the people you're already regularly in contact with. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Count people, survey people, find that, find them. Uh, that, that that was an interesting example. I, th- I thought from D.C. where they're really thinking creatively to to do this count. You know. Well, you know about necessity, and yes. and, and and what yeah. that and what the mother of that is, or that is the mother of, right. I should say. Let me talk. Ask you about your uh, the role of partnerships in sustainability to prevent. I guess I should say uh, nonprofit partnerships mm-hmm. in the ability to sustain uh, your initiatives. Yeah, I mean, the partnership to prevent and end homelessness in Fairfax County is very broad. Um, but really, at the core, the people that do the direct services yes. and that serve and house people are the nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. that run our shelters and outreach programs and housing programs. Um, these are the organizations that are really doing the lion's share of the work. Um, county government provides some degree of funding, but they also leverage that funding to get private donations from foundations and individuals and businesses, both cash and in kind, like food and clothing. Right. It really, government couldn't do it 
on its own. Um, it's it, but beyond the nonprofit, there's also the faith community. In Fairfax County, we have a long-standing partnership where during the winter, various houses of worship actually open their doors to expand our shelter capacity and let people sleep in their houses of worship mm -hmm. so they don't die outside due to exposure and hypothermia. Um, and, and so that's a great partnership of the county providing some degree of funding mm -hmm. to connect them to all sorts of resources. And then the nonprofits work with the faith communities to shelter and care for people during the coldest months. Um, and, and there's others. I mean, businesses and individuals, like I said, do a tremendous amount of donations and volunteers throughout the year, uh, volunteering throughout the year to help keep these programs operating. Um, you talk about kind of lean businesses. These organizations and their and their shelters and the programs are really doing so much with with so little. Absolutely, I um, I wanted to ask you particularly about Fairfax County as it relates to the national uh, footprint of homelessness. I know we mm -hmm. just said we're talking about four hundred square four hundred thousand square miles. Is that Four hundred, yeah. Four hundred—that's um, big, and that's not all population, and and yet, where are we in terms of stats for people who are homeless, and how does that relate to a national average? Yeah, yeah. So I think a really enlightening number is the sort of per capita number. Okay. If you think about how many people are experiencing homelessness. Uh huh. Um, in Fairfax County, it's about nine out of every 10,000 people, which is very small. Uh -huh. uh, nationally, it's about 18 out of every 10,000 people. So, so it's a little bigger, twice as big. Um, but really those numbers are uh, nationally, 18 out of every 10,000 is really hiding the real truth that is happening out there across the country because in, in many communities, more urban communities, especially those on the West Coast, the numbers are much, much higher. You know, in Los Angeles, you have 60,000 people unsheltered on every single night, not just homeless, but actually outside sweeping on the streets uh, every night. Hmm. And so when you look at the per capita numbers of many of these more urban areas like D.C., but much, much higher. And so the District of Columbia, it's 90, it's nine zero out of every 10,000 people. Oh, that's big. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And um, see, I'm also thinking, I'm trying to get a big picture in my head, and I, I want to talk impact. I want our audience to really understand that mm -hmm. uh, though you may not see it every day, it is, it exists and it is our oh, yeah. issue. Um, see if we can walk into a conversation about affordable housing and how is that working or not working in Fairfax County, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something, the, um, the cost of, the, the price of rent is tied directly towards homelessness. Uh, research done out of the Zillow companies has shown that in communities where people are paying more than 30% of their income, homelessness rises much quicker. Um, so here in Fairfax County, um, one in every five renters pay more than 50% of their income for housing. 
Mm. That's a lot of money, but it's not surprising if you live in this area. No, it isn't. That's the case. So that's one out of every five renters. Um, and so people say, well, okay, so they're paying the rent. It's a lot of their income. But what's, what's lost is the choices they're having to make, the difficult choices, in order to choose among multiple necessities. So you talked about transportation, right? Yes. If they want to keep working. That means not just a, a bus or a car, but also childcare if you have children. Yes, uh, yes. Right? And, and so it, it can be very, and it's also time, right? So when I was working directly with people experiencing homelessness, it was not uncommon for people to be taking buses two hours each way from one end of the county to the other, mm -hmm. uh, getting to and from work that was paying not much more than minimum wage. And, you know, in the end, it just doesn't add up. Uh, and so they're choosing sometimes not to feed their children, not to feed themselves, not to pay for prescriptions to keep them healthy. I mean, th these difficult choices people make because they're putting everything that they can towards housing. And, you uh, know, I'm, wow, difficult. And I'm thinking... What popped into my head right away was people in this situation that you just described who are dependent on schools to feed their children and how oh, yeah. COVID compromised if they had a job, if they still had a job, the whole issue of child care, uh, nutrition, all of these things, it's, it's, a, it's a web. It's a web that, that is very difficult to break in. And the irony is the people in this condition are the people that are providing the services that other people want. Yeah, yeah. Now, people what's wrong with this, that picture? Image. Yeah, people have an image of this stereotypical homeless person, and they imagine a middle-aged white man usually drinking or doing some social yeah. drugs. Um, but it, it, what's interesting is the population, the age group that's most overrepresented uh -huh. in the homeless population are infants. What? And it gets to that issue that you were just saying about childcare and the expenses of living. Um, young parents um, show up disproportionately in the homeless population because suddenly you can't work, but you have two mouths to feed, mm -hmm. yours and your child's, mm -hmm. and you suddenly are, can find yourself in great crisis if you don't have family and friends to rely upon. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, infants, small children, uh, all together children under 18 represent 30% of our homeless population. So that's three out of 10, and that's not the middle-aged white guy on the street. Those are kids. Um, you know, they're sleeping in our shelters. And the other issue is, where is our future? If these yes. kids are being underserved, they're in a shelter, they're not having a socialization process or an educational process that will make them competitive in their own future, what's going to happen to us in terms of global standing, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, well, we, we, we know that homelessness has a terrible effect on uh, youth's um, education and yes, health, yes. not just as as children, but long afterwards, absolutely uh, as adults, and and oftentimes it's the adults that we see today that experience homelessness as as children, and oftentimes had 
experiences of trauma, including abuse, um, by parents that were often um, poorly, like not well equipped to take care uh, of their children. They also, because of the stresses of life and not having the means to, to provide for their families and or the, the life skills to kind of cope with the stress themselves, or maybe they were abused themselves. It's a, it's a terrible cycle that uh, oftentimes ends up in very terrible negative life um, uh, you know, effects on their lives in terms of income and health, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. Now, um, let me just, okay, we've been, we've been talking about what is the reality. I'm going to ask you a question that will allow you to, to dream. In this world, uh, with all your experience, uh, with all of your insights, with all of your wisdom, what would you do to positively impact people who are homeless uh, if you knew you could not fail? I love that question because I, you know, the life that, that we're living today is so full of fear and uncertainty and doubt and convinced that we'll never do exactly we want to do. Mm-hmm. But it, if you ask me what would I do if I couldn't fail, mm-hmm. I, I would quit my quit my job and I would just talk to people and, and try to open their eyes to the inequities that are happening in our community, knowing that if they understood, they would support the affordable housing and the programs that are needed to care for people. Uh, who are less fortunate, um, and and you know that starts with housing. Uh, it starts because if it didn't, we didn't always have a homeless population like we have today. There was a time where there was housing of all sizes and types and for all incomes, and people could even under the worst of circumstances get the most basic of housing. Um, and so I, I would, I, I don't know, maybe I would. Uh, go into politics myself. <laughs> it sounds to me your answer was very well uh, very well framed as a politician and I would vote for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking to myself you know I say in the beginning the way you come to the show is believing that impossible is merely a word and what I what I do when I think about and I do think about people who are homeless and have less than and who are frightened and who are ashamed and who are abused and uh, aside from including them in my prayers I keep thinking what can I do with my gifts and my talent and I try to ask Mm -hmm. people who I get what would you do about this you know it's um, I read something recently about someone talking about just serve just go out and serve and and the example they gave was actors in New York that didn't have jobs and they said you know mm-hmm. what there was acting before there's jobs go to the hospitals go to the red you know go to the shelters act just just give just give and sure that energy I know there's some people going like really Tyra come on but that energy if it could become contagious enough that we could live out of a space of love rather than fear then I believe change is possible, but I, I'm a little frightened about the way we seem to be waking up each morning now and treating treating one another. But um, mm. I want to I want to just go over some of the key 
key concepts. Um, one, I ask you, who do you see uh, in the population that we're calling homeless? And you're telling me teen mothers, uh, uh, young people who've had rejection regarding gender issues, mental health issues, domestic violence, living below the poverty line, health issues, loss of jobs. It could take one bad, bad accident. Um, <clears throat> issues, uh, homeless, home, people who are homeless uh, seem to be intergenerationally impacted as well. And we mentioned veterans who are homeless. We talked about uh, the Office to Prevent and End Homelessness is uh, a critical success factor of that is its partnerships with nonprofits, the faith community, uh, uh, businesses, and volunteers that just have good hearts. But um, mm -hmm. also, um, what can we do in terms of policy? And we talked about affordable housing. Oh, I, I want to I wanna hit on that. How difficult is it to get affordable housing uh, as a part of the plan, the footprint of a county plan for housing? How do you get a builder to commit to a certain percentage of, of its apartments uh, to be allocated for uh, people with a different income letter, level? I didn't sure, say that well, sure. but you no, know. I, I think I hear where you're coming from. I mean, the reality is, is that housing is expensive. Yes. And um, despite our community setting ambitious goals to create affordable housing mm -hmm. over the previous 10 years, we fell short of those goals. Um, we've set new goals over the next several years, and we've gotten off to a great start. But like 10 years ago when the housing crisis began, um, we're now doing this in the midst of a pandemic where unemployment has been at record highs. Yes. So our, our timing is not great, but um, we are creating hundreds of, if not thousands of affordable housing units. And that's done through a lot of different ways. And many of my colleagues in the Department of Housing could give you much more expert advice. but. From what I can tell, there's really three primary means. There's the the building of housing, usually through a public-private partnership between the county with the housing authority and, and private developers. And then there's things like a, a, uh, inclusionary zoning, which is what you were setting, uh, talking about, with where they set aside a number yes, of yes, that's new it. development. That's it, right? Tom. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so this inclusionary zoning is a great uh, policy and approach to help increase the number of units that are affordable across communities around the country this is used. It's not creating huge numbers, but it's a piece of the puzzle that helps create these, and not just in dedicated neighborhoods or buildings, but in uh, high-income, high-opportunity areas like places like Tyson's. Right, right, yes. The line corridor. Yes. Right? So, and then there's so, other programs like the Housing Choice Voucher Program nationally, which right. is, you know you give someone a voucher that they can use to pay for their rent in part so that their rent's affordable. You do understand um, that you're going to have to come back because we're running out of time, and I'm not finished yet with the story, yeah. and I know you're not, and we can expand what the conversation includes if you promise to do that. Does that work for you? Uh, I would love to. 
Great. Thank you for having me. Yes, I want you to uh, read the letter you wrote to your younger self. It's an assignment I give to each guest, but it's become so illuminating. And um, I know you said you're a man of a few words, but would you share with us now, please? Sure, absolutely. Um, Well, I like to be a person of gratitude, and so I start off, Dear Tom, thank you. I appreciate you putting in the work. Nobody knows better than me what you are going through, and I know it was rough times. But seriously, though, never fear it will be worth it. The life that you are making is amazing, and it's only getting better. Believe me, none of these daily stresses will matter in a week, let alone a year or 10. Stop worrying about that next deadline, meeting, or event. Do set more goals for yourself, even if they make you stretch. And say yes. Say yes more often and don't overthink it. Yes, we made a lot of mistakes. You're going to make a lot more. You could have worked harder or, yeah, you could have taken an easier path. You could have done something else or been someone else, but but it is worth it. Remember when your dad asked you over breakfast whether you really want to make a career working at homeless shelters? Yes, yes, you do. The sense of purpose will sustain you. Mondays will not be as dreadful. You will meet the love of your life, someone smart and beautiful, and she shares your passion. Hang in there, she's waiting. And don't worry, eventually one day money will not be so much of a worry. Saying yes won't hurt you. Commit yourself, live through it, and look for those opportunities to grow and prosper. They are all around you. Tom. I love that. Say yes. In fact, I love when our stories look beyond and walk beyond the words to places where expanded stories are born. And we did that right here, right now. Ah, Soul Food Doggy Bag for the Week is one of my favorites, and it's called There's Always More. If by chance no one has told you that they love you today, I would be honored to be the first to say, I love you today. I love you because you are and have been willing to grow. And my, how you have grown. You've grown from struggling to searching, from trying to do something to learning how to do. You've grown from fear to having faith to demonstrating your courage. You've grown in many ways, consistently demonstrating your willingness and courage to take the next step, the step toward the profound and divine wisdom buried within yourself, the step toward knowing more about yourself. That's exactly why I love you. You're profoundly divine. Growth is a very profound experience. It can be beautiful and ugly, empowering and confining, thought-provoking and mind-boggling, pleasant and unpleasant, all at the same time. Just when you think that you got it, life seems to say, well, now take this. And you do. Then the minute you're ready to throw up your hands and give up, or here, excuse me, or beat up on yourself for doing the same thing the same way, ending up in the same position, you realize you've not done so badly after all. You know you've grown when you can meet a challenge, an obstacle, or difficulty without totally losing it. Somehow, some way, in the growth process, you have come upon the understanding that the more you grow, the more you know. The more you are encouraged to grow and to know. There is more of you waiting to unfold.
my guest has been Tom Barnett, director of Fairfax County Office to End and Prevent, Prevent and End Homelessness. Tom, quickly tell our audience, if they want to continue the conversation with you, how can they do that? Well, join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fairfax Homeless or our website at fairfaxcounty.gov slash homeless. All right. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax. This is Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Remember, your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time. Until then, remember, you are worthy. You're stronger than you feel, smarter than you think, more beautiful than you know, and more love than you can ever imagine. You are chosen. You are important. Treat yourself like someone you love. Living intentionally and loving you, this is Tyra G.